Hey, welcome to the Four Evansville podcast, a podcast about listening and learning to the needs and dreams of our city so that it can be a place where everyone can flourish. My name's Sarah. I'm actually just here kind of setting up this episode for you. It's actually a bonus episode, our second bonus episode, as we share some talks that happened at Imagine Evansville back in January. And uh, this is one of my favorite talks from that night. They were all terrific. This is one of my favorites with Rosen Hood and Joanne Hunter. And uh, they'll be interviewed by Jonathan, so you'll hear a little bit more about them as he sets that up. And I just want to invite you to our next Imagine Evansville event where we have conversations just like this. It's going to be on September 15th, and you can register and find out more at 4evansville.org slash imagine. Check out this conversation with Rosen and Joanne. If we believe the phrase that knowledge is power, then that means that education is one of the most valuable resources in our city. And whenever we think about uh, John's analogy of the greenhouse, education is one of those really vital pieces that a person needs in order, in order to flourish in our community. And I think we would all like to believe that every person in our community, especially every young person, has access to quality education if they're willing to work hard for it. In fact, I I think a lot of us would maybe think that the difference between a successful student and an unsuccessful student is their willingness to work hard. But the reality is that in our community, there are a lot of other factors that influence the availability of a quality education for a student in our community. And so here to talk to us about that and talk with us about that is Rosen Hood and Joan Hunter. Go ahead and welcome them up to the stage. <laughs> Rosen Hood is the Chief Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging Officer at EVSC. I think it's Really cool that EVSC has a position like that. It's super important. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Um, And she has over 25 years of experience in public education. She came to Evansville a little over a year ago uh, to help cultivate the community of belonging uh, within EVSC and in our community at large. And then Joanne Hunter uh, came to Evansville as a child in the foster care system, and she has over 20 years experience uh, working with individuals and families, um, doing things like alternative education um, opportunities and other forms of ministry. And so we're really excited uh, to hear from them today. Thank you guys for being here. Um, So I've only gotten to talk with you guys briefly on Zoom, and it didn't take very long for me to recognize uh, the passion that you guys have for kids in Evansville. And I think if there's a quality that uh, I could admire in anybody, um, I don't know that there's a quality that I'd admire more than somebody being passionate about the kids in our community. Um, and so I'm excited for everyone here to get to see that passion and to, to hear about that. Um, but we're here to talk specifically about education. So maybe to start, I'd love to hear from both of you um, why education specifically? Why is education important to you? And uh, why is it something that you feel passionate about? Um, I am a fourth generation public educator. So I said I would not go into this field. And here I am. Um, And I believe education done well, high quality, 
college prep and opportunities for all is the great equalizer in this country and for many people. And if it is done well, that it opens doors that other things can't. Money can't, privilege can't, all of those pieces, if we provide quality education to every single student and prepare them for an expansive future, that's how you change a city and that's how you change any jurisdiction. So I'm doggedly passionate about public education because it is the right of every human to have a high quality education. That's great, thank you. Okay, so. <laughs> I know I, I asked you a big question, so feel free to okay. unpack it. I said I wasn't gonna um, do my fourth generation of uh, preaching, so. <laughs> I'm gonna try not to do an altar call. <laughs> um, but as it concerns education, um, as Rosen said, is an equalizer. So to me, um, it's freedom. When they say knowledge is power, power is freedom. Freedom to choose, freedom to do. Um, as a uh, kids, they, they might not say it anymore. You know, do you, boo-boo, you know. <laughs> they might not say that no more. But that, that is what education does. It is, and it's not just the, the public education, educating yourself even when um, education fails you. It is knowing that you don't have to um, necessarily take what it is that people are saying is education you can learn for yourself. If you can't tell, I work for the library. <laughs> and so education for me is that which I acquire on my own to better myself and that which I use to better other people no matter where I am. It's the information that's the power. That is, that is education to me. That's why it's important. Yeah, that's great. And in addition to your experience in uh, working in the library, you also have experience in early education. And um, whenever we talked before, you mentioned that even in those very early stages of a child's education, as early as preschool, you were able to recognize some of the factors that were going to determine a student's success or, or barriers to success throughout the, the rest of their education. Could you speak to what some of those things are that you could recognize even at an early age? Okay, so I don't know if it was Bill Clinton or not, but you know, we watch these YouTube videos and everything and he said, uh, it's a money problem, but it's not a money problem. When we don't have the funding to create the experiences that we need, then children aren't able to learn. I know that's hard, but we need, we need the money. So when I worked in Cape Head Start, and you say, oh, we can't order this right now, or we can't get that right now, you pretty much have to do what you have to do to make it work to make it happen. I know many of us are in nonprofit positions, so we have to make things work with what we have. So in that, let me calm down, in that, <laughs> it creates barriers 
for what we can offer. They may not be able to go to the zoo. They may not, their families may not be able to afford these experiences. So if you don't have the experiences, when you get older and they ask you on a test about this animal and that animal and this experience and that experience and you've never even had that experience, you can't even answer the question correctly, let alone be able to pass the test. They aren't even teaching um, study skills. So not having those um, simple things that may be done in, let's say, private schools are keeping you know, our children from being successful. Yeah, that's good. So it sounds like uh, a student's or, or their family's economic means can be a, a big factor, especially in early child education biggest. to the it's access the that they have. Uh, are there other factors um, in a student's life that are going to you know, kind of separate that group from students who are having those experiences and students who are not having access to those experiences? Not only in early ed, but even I'm a high school person. Yeah. Even though I'm part of K-12, I am a high school person. They are my favorite human beings, high schoolers. Even at high school, Right, Takes a special ex- kind of person to oh, say that. Oh, man, absolutely. <laughs> so, God those bless you. Those are the real people. They tell yeah. it just like it That's is right. every day. Even those experiences, if you do not have access to private music lessons, to club sports, to tutoring, that we as a community could create opportunities that would absolutely make a significant difference. But these outside opportunities that parents and families that have the ability to pay, and the knowledge about how to navigate the path and do school are automatically at an advantage. So one of my, way before I came here, one of my primary um, priorities as an educator was to ensure that students, which is most students, if we look nationally, that did not have those opportunities were allowed to enhance their experiences without cost, without all of the things that go into those activities, driving to and there, beyond, way beyond the money, takes up all your weekend, all of these other factors, sure. right? Combined with, that's what makes school meaningful to people. Absolutely the academic part. I am an academic person. Like, we have to be doing school and be doing rigorous, challenging academics. That's why we're here, to prepare people. But beyond that, the comprehensive setting is about making available to all students. And we have to look as public school systems at what do we put in the way that makes that inaccessible? Do we have practice in the middle of the day in the summertime and nobody can get there unless you have someone to drive you? Are our schools accessible to our families? Can a family easily access, easily get to that school to meet with a teacher, to attend an after school activity, to go to back to school night? Or is it too far a distance or transportation's an issue? So all of those things over and over again, make to make the playing field absolutely not only unlevel, they aren't even on the same field. They aren't even on the same playing field and they do not have the same opportunities. So constantly looking, how do we access rigorous curriculum? How do we determine who's in honors and AP classes? Do we have those available at every single school? That's up to us. That is not about the students that attend there. I say time and time again, students do not pick who they live with or where they grow up. 
So we are responsible for making that situation equitable and meaningful, even if it means from when they come to us to when they go home at night. That situation can have equity. That can be grounded in inclusivity and belonging. Right? We can't always affect change beyond that, but we can do enough internally, they're with us more than they're home, to make it a far more equitable situation. Yeah, that's good. As you were talking about that, I was thinking even something as small uh, or that many of us would take for granted, like transportation and having two cars instead of one and, you know, somebody being able to, no cars. Yeah. Um, so uh, I want to ask um, for students who don't have those valuable experiences that you're talking about from a very early age, they're facing all these barriers. Um, these, these other things just aren't an option for whatever reason. What ends up happening to those students during their educational, um, you know, journey? And then even beyond that, what's, what's kind of the, what's kind of the trajectory that that preschooler is on whenever you see really early on, they don't have this additional support. They don't have these additional resources that they need. Well, we're actually a part of a network um, that is grassroots. We're starting, up, we're starting from the bottom. <laughs> we're going to the top. Um, but we are here to interrupt the preschool to prison pipeline. This is where our children end up. They go through the ranks. They're not going up. Is like a decline, um, and they're passed along, and we find them in the prison systems. Um, man, I don't even want to start crying, but today was my first day um, going to uh, a daycare. They didn't give me permission to say anything, but I was having a discussion with one of the children. He wanted to play cop and I was in jail. He didn't want to play college. He didn't want to play going to the store. He didn't want to play house. He wanted to play, he was the cop, and I was in jail. I could not get out of jail. The more I spoke, the more days I got. I said, but where's my lawyer? You, I need to call my lawyer. He said, you can't call the lawyer. He talked to the lawyer. The lawyer had jail time too. This is not okay. This is what our children, this is what they're facing. This is what they see. So they go down the same path that they see someone else. How in the world did he know all these things about jail? They go down the path that they see unless someone interrupts, unless someone disrupts, this is where they end up. They end up downtown. They end up on Lynch Road. They end up in Henderson County where you can't even be in jail for free. You gotta pay like it's a hotel. That's where they end up. They end up homeless. Um, Rosen, whenever we were preparing for this event, you said something that really stuck out to me. You said that uh, as educators, we have an obligation to believe in the highest potential of every student, regardless of their background or current performance. 
We have an obligation to believe in the highest potential of every student, regardless of their background and performance. And it sounds like what you guys are describing is that oftentimes it's a student's background and current performance that maybe determines the quality of the education that they're receiving or the additional support that they're having. Um, and that that is putting them in a trajectory that's going either positively or negatively. Um, can you help us imagine in Evansville where as a city, we are um, providing what students need and believing in their highest potential. What, it, what does that look like and how is it maybe different um, from where we're at as a city right now? One thing that has been eye-opening to me is our discipline practices because I feel like they are so permanent and terminal. And I've dealt with very few, a few high school students that did something that was just so egregious that we couldn't move forward. Extremely few out of thousands of young people. When you send a message that this one error has now removed you from the school, sent you somewhere else, or sent you home for an extended period of time, whatever it is, we continue to make the disconnection deeper. And all the high school discipline, I as an administrator 15 years, I've done a lot of high school discipline. And in every conversation, I would walk them back and they could tell me when they decided school was not for them and probably 95% of them could tell me the incident, unfortunately the teacher, the grade, and I have to tell you most of it were school things. It was not, well my family moved, we were homeless, I lost both parents. It was about something that happened to them or, or with them in the school setting. So we have complete control over that in my opinion. But when you disconnect them, remove them, send them away, even for just attendance, and then, it, and then wonder why we don't see more of them, well, the message is, no, we, we don't want to deal with you. So you go over there, and we'll come back and get you in a year, however long it takes. It also does not help the larger community navigate dealing with challenging issues, because it's the message is, we can send you over there, and then we don't have to deal with you. But how do we get a more effective, and I believe in consequences. I am not saying you do something, it's like, oh, we're fine, we're all friends, no. But where's the restoration of the human? Of the human side of I made a mistake, I'm 15, I'm 17, I wanna get it together. I believe most of them want to get it together. The, nobody wakes up in the morning wanting everybody to be mad at you or tired of seeing you. But there's people that arrive at school every day that are wondering, is anybody here happy to see me? Right, And we have to rectify that. We have to come to a place where we are not evaluating and judging and deciding someone's worth or future based on right now today. I mean, and, I, and as an adult, would you want someone to judge you on your very worst day or choices or circumstances? I mean, I would hope that's not in the final days. Well, you know, when she was 21, boy, whatever, right? So why, we can't do that with young people. And their, their sphere and scope is not as broad as ours. But you absolutely can help them see beyond these circumstances right now, even if it is a substantial situation with discipline. Back to and constantly connecting them back. If they are connected to the school on any level, and it only takes one person, if they are connected, they will come and they will do about anything for a teacher, a coach, a music instructor, someone they see that believes in them. So how do we create those relationships and beyond school. Schools need assistance. I mean, this can't be the school system over here doing all this and then they come out and now we're all part of the city. It has to be though, 
understanding how incredibly invaluable that system is to all of us. If the school system is healthy and thriving and flourishing, the city will be the same. I mean, it is where we are creating the future. That's awesome. Well, that leads right into my, yeah, go ahead. That leads right into my last question uh, for you, Joanne, which is, um, you know, you have, you've had a lot of experience outside of the public school system. And as you mentioned at the beginning of our time together, uh, education is not just what happens in the school system. It, it happens in a more holistic way. And so could you speak maybe to what are the, some of the opportunities outside of the school system and maybe opportunities for partnership with the school system as well? What are those opportunities for those who aren't a teacher or they're not connected to the school system in a real specific way. What are opportunities for us to create opportunities for kids to learn and grow? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> because this is, this is the piece where we all want to know, okay, we hear this, we heard all the problems, we know all the problems. I'm sure everybody in here knows something. We all discussed what was wrong. But what can we do on lower levels every day to help so mentor someone, please take the time to introduce yourself to someone outside of your comfort zone, someone outside of your economic status, someone outside of your race. That is really important here, I feel. I come from a very segregated um, place, um, Chicago. So for me to um, live in Chicago and then go to Hyde Park where the only color they see is green and then move here, I, I, need, I need the diversity that we have to begin to come together and begin to mm, reach down we talk about, and Anne Howard, the children, we talk about dirty places, the places that no one wants to go, the places that um, no one wants to deal with, the people that no one wants to touch. You want to touch them from far away. You want to say, oh, we'll donate money to this, but we won't spend any of our time. We really need to spend time. We need the money. I said that. <laughs> <laughs> but we really need to spend time with these young people and the continuity of care. Thank you, Cape. The continuity of care is what we need. So we don't need to say, oh, I'm going to mentor you while you're in third grade. I'm going to come into your life and I'm going to drop off a little bit of knowledge and then I'm going to run away. No, we need continuity of care that goes from birth all the way seeing them through college, military, whatever it is that they decide to do with their lives, we need to get one, just, just find one, one. I would even venture to say, even if it is your own child, because sometimes as parents, we don't exactly even see what's going on in our own home. That would help the community as well. If we would take the time to make the choice Thank you, Austin. Make the choice to be parents. Make the choice to start where we are, use what we have, do what we can to mentor a child, to tutor a child, to, to go to the hundreds. Oh, my God, this place has so many organizations. 
They cannot fit on a flyer, a single flyer. Let's not fight anymore. Let's not compete anymore. Find your niche or your niche, whatever we want to call it, and get in there and then help somebody else. If you got spoons, we need spoons. Give us the spoons. It's simple. Love your neighbor as yourself on a personal level and then on a global level. That's all I have to say. That's awesome. Do you have anything you want to add? Just what she said for young people to have experiences beyond go to school, come home, go to work, take care of siblings, do those pieces. We as a community can provide, I believe, far more experiences and opportunities. That is what is the difference maker, and that is what also levels out some of the financial and personal imbalance. Without cost. Right. Without so cost. if you are an industry, if you are in a business, how do we set up so students can tour, so students can do an internship, so they actually, our young people can understand, oh, this is a career opportunity. They have to see the possibility, and how do you dream about what you've never seen? Right? You cannot. And I'm going to say, I mean, we're in a time of great reckoning if we choose to answer to it. I fervently believe that. This is no different than years ago. I think as a nation, we are in a time where we must decide, are we going to act or are you going to be a bystander? And that's really, and bystander is no different than doing whatever the dirty deeds are, to be honest. But are you going to stand up for what we need to do to move humanity forward? We have to make an intentional decision. I love it. Sounds like there is a different pipeline being built in Evansville, and I'm excited about it. Why don't you give these two a hand? Well, I think after listening to that episode, you can see why it was one of my favorites to listen to, because I believe when we hear these things about the things that are happening right here in our city, and imagine uh, it's an opportunity for us to think differently and to look at opportunities of ways that we can help make it a place where everyone can flourish. We want to have more conversations like this to spark innovation and opportunities to make changes. Uh, we want to start at our next Imagine Evansville event, which again will be on September 15th, where you can gather with the dreamers and the doers of our city to imagine an Evansville where everyone flourishes. Go to forevansville.org slash imagine to find out more and also to go ahead and purchase your ticket to make sure you're there on September 15th. Thank you so much for listening. We'd always love to hear from you. You can email us at connect at forevansville.org. See you next time.